design review committee meeting, the last of this year. Before we get started, uh, we usually begin with the pledge. We have a guest here this evening. Would you like to lead us in the pledge, Mr. Orley? It would be my honor. Thank you. That woke you up, huh? Could we have roll call, please? Thank you, Chair. Uh, Chair Imboden? Here. Vice Chair McDermott? Here. Council Member Fox? Uh, committee oh, Member sorry. Fox committee, is here. Committee Member Fox. <laughs> committee Member Skorponich? Here. Committee, Mer committee Member Far Farfan? Here. Great, thank you. Uh, before we get started with business, I understand we have some uh, abstentions this evening. Could we go through those? Yes, Chair. Or I, recusals, perhaps, I should say. Yes, I will be recusing myself from item number 4.2, uh, the Drenner residence, because of proximity to my house. Okay. And, uh, Chair, I'll be recusing myself from item, which number is it? 4.1, I believe. 4.1, yes, thank you, because of my <laughs> firm's involvement with the project. Okay, great. That's everything, correct? Okay, and will you be leaving? I will leave the chamber after uh, item 4.1. Yeah, okay. But you'll be back. I'll be back. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, before we get started with our agendized business, we always give the public the opportunity to approach the committee to um, discuss any non-agendized business. Is there anyone in the audience here for that this evening? Okay, seeing none, we will move to the consent calendar. We have approval of the minutes from our December 7th meeting as well as Item 3.2, which is the Dish Wireless Co-Location Project, DRC item number 5100-22. Um, because we received some late documents on the wireless communication facility, I'm going to pull that item. Uh, we'll look for any discussion or motion to approve the minutes, though. Chair, I move that we approve the minutes as submitted. Okay, we have a motion to approve. I'll second. And a second. There's no further discussion. Please vote. That unanimously passes. Moving on to item 3.2, again, design review item 5100-22, dish wireless co-location. I don't necessarily need a full staff report myself, um, but I would like to um, receive verification and confirmation of anything that has changed in the drawings, um, because uh, this came to us so late, I believe any and all of us probably would have reviewed this project prior 
to um, these changes. So um, could we just review that portion? Is that possible? Unless anyone here is needing a full staff report. No, that's all I need myself okay. as well. Good evening, Chair, members of the Design Review Committee. Uh, yes, I could go over those changes, but I, I do want to advise the committee that I am not seeing a representative for DISH Wireless. They did confirm that somebody would be present, but at this point, I am not seeing anybody in the audience. I don't know if that changes the committee's uh, mindset on this item or not. We could move it further down on the agenda. What, what's everyone's preference? Well, it could be that if information is brought forward through Mr. Garcia's presentation of the changes that somebody might have a question for the, the applicant, Correct. possibly. Correct. I mean, I don't foresee one, but somebody might. Right. Is it possible for us to start the item and if we don't have any hitches, um, well, if we do need, have a question for the applicant, uh, push that back to the end of the meeting? That would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's do that then. All right, then. Thank you. So, yes, the request is for a, a wireless facility uh, by DISH uh, Wireless on an existing non-stealth facility. Uh, the existing uh, monopole is approximately 61 feet in height. The proposed facility uh, for DISH would be at a maximum height to the top of their proposed antennas of uh, 48 feet. So it would be lower than the existing facility. The, the proposed facility would also be uh, installed tighter than what is existing out there. Uh, currently, the existing array is approximately about 12 feet from the center of the pole. The proposed facility for DISH wireless would be approximately four feet. Uh, but with that said, I, I guess getting to the meat of the item and, and the proposed change is the applicant had originally proposed to put the associated mechanical equipment uh, at the base of the existing tower. Uh, and that can be viewed uh, essentially on sheet 1A of the original uh, drawings that were in your packet. And so uh, based on the applicant's discussion with uh, the existing provider and, and the existing provider's desire to install uh, an emergency generator at the site, uh, the property owner, to my understanding, has uh, requested that they build a CMU wall uh, at the site of the existing um, carrier's equipment uh, and at the proposed um, uh, equipment cabinets for this particular uh, applicant, dish wireless. So if you look at this plan, the ex uh, towards the bottom there, the lower left is a uh, note saying existing other carrier equipment. That's the location where all the equipment would be centralized. So if, if you could, we can go to sheet 1A of the revised plans uh, that you should have in front of you and was emailed to you earlier. Uh, and I'll go to it here, put it on the big screen. 
so the all the equipment would be located in this new enclosure that would be proposed by the existing carrier. That application has not been submitted to staff review yet, so we have not vetted that application, but we feel that that will be coming to us here shortly after the new year. And if that is an appropriate location, all the equipment would be screened by the enclosure, which would go towards getting rid of some equipment that's not necessarily sightly out there. It would enclose it and make the project site a little bit better. And that is the extent of the changes that the applicant is proposing. Just the location change for the equipment from the base of the tower to this new location where the existing CMU enclosure would be built. Okay, thank you. And just for clarification for what I'm hearing from you, the application in front of us this evening is simply to locate the equipment there, but the concrete wall that it would be placed behind is not part of this application. It's part of a forthcoming application. That is correct. So what might happen if this were to be approved and the other would not? What would that mean? It would mean that this particular applicant would have to provide something that is in substantial conformance with this approval. So that may entail them to build an enclosure around their facility at this location. If they wish to change to a different location, staff would review it. And if we feel that it's not in substantial conformance, it would come before this body. Okay. Okay, thank you. Other questions? I had a question about whether there was going to be landscaping requirements, but that would come back either to staff or to us with the application for the wall itself, right? That is correct. And that application would be a minor site plan review, which is reviewable by staff only. Okay, thank you. Anything else? Okay. I'll entertain any motions that might be. Chair, I move to approve. Sorry. Item design review number 5100-22, dish wireless co-location. Based on the findings in the staff report and with the conditions listed in the staff report. And actually, do we need to add any conditions about, because there was a condition number eight. So now I'm withdrawing my motion right now for a moment. Okay. To ask staff, because there was a condition number eight, now I can't find the staff report, that had something about fencing around the equipment. Would that need to be modified in any way? No, that condition would not need to be modified. That condition requires that the facility be screened or fully enclosed by a non-climbable fence or an equivalent material. So it would not affect this particular condition. Okay, so can I add to that condition that it not be a chain link fence? Just in case, I know this is proposed as a block wall, but it's a separate permit. 
if they end up coming back and just putting a chain link fence around this, um, is it best for me to, well, first of all, would it be allowed? Because I don't think the chain link fences are allowed in orange. That's correct. So it so has to be automatically a, a wrought iron fence or, or a CMU, or CMU. Yes. So that's already in the code. I don't need to add that to this condition. That is in the code, but you know, in, just because they're proposing this modification to their plans, it might be best to include a condition that the facility okay. be of a CMU wall, and that would help staff out in okay. the long run in case the other application doesn't move forward. Right. They're still required to have a CMU wall. Okay, so I'm gonna start over on my, sure. my sure. motion. For, okay, chair, real, thank you real quick, for yeah. if I could uh, just add, add a little bit of room in there. Sometimes crime prevention will ask for an interruption for slats. Uh, typically, it's only on the entry gate, but um, sometimes, depending on the size of the enclosure, based on the length that it is, they may want a tube steel mm. um, interruption. Uh, so just to throw out that for okay. consideration. Okay, I can craft, I think, I, and you can flag me down if you don't think it's an appropriate condition that I'm going to state. Okay, so Chair, I move that we approve design review number 5100-22, dish wireless co-location based on the findings in the staff report with the conditions listed in the staff report with the exception that condition number eight be modified to include that the, um, if the subsequent permit as drawn on the drawings for the block wall is not moved forward, that the applicant would need to provide screening using um, a combination of, block and or tube steel. And Mr. Ch Chair and uh, committee member Fox, also condition number one, I would recommend that that be amended to read that the construction shall be in conformance with the plans and exhibits labeled as attachment four in the December 21st, 2022 staff report as amended. As amended, okay, thank you. And that. Um, all right, so as stated, that condition number one would be modified to um, have the, uh, the phrase as amended after attachment four in the, written in the condition. I'll second the motion. Okay, we have a motion to approve and a second. Any further questions or comments? Please vote. That is unanimously approved. That concludes consent. Uh, we have no continued items, only new business. We have two. First, design review item 5088-22, Hartman Residence, located at 257 North Grand Street. And as stated previously, I'll be recusing and we have a recusal. <clears throat> and if we could have a staff report, please. Go ahead whenever you're ready. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, Chair Moden and committee members. 
Um, the applicant proposes to demolish an existing single-story two-car garage and construct the new two-car garage with a habitable bonus room and a half-story above. The existing dwelling is a contributor to the Old Town Historic District. Research of historic sandborn maps and aerials show that the existing garage to be demolished was constructed outside of the period of significance of the historic district and therefore is not a contributor to the district. The major proponents include demolition of the existing detached 568 square foot two-car two garage, construction of a new 585 square foot two-car garage with a 309 square foot habitable bonus room in the, in the half story above, resulting in 858 square feet in total. The half story is 52.8% of the floor area below and does not exceed the 60% gross floor area of the floor below as defined in the historic preservation design standards. A half story as defined in the orange municipal code is the top floor of a building in which the floor area is within the established roof line and room heights within the half story space conform to the uniform building code regulations for habitable space. The building has two floors of habitable rooms, but appears as one story structure from an architectural standpoint. According to the um, California Building Code, a habitable space um, is defined as a space in a building for living, sleeping, eating, or cooking. Bathrooms, toilet rooms, closets, halls, storage, or utility spaces, and similar areas are not considered for the habitable spaces. The proposed garage would be placed in roughly the same location as the existing garage, but would be set further away from the south property line. The proposed garage would be clad in smooth, flat um, fiber cement board and band panels and have a composition shingle roof to match the main residence. Board and band is traditionally found in Old Town Orange Historic District. The use of traditional board and band siding is in line with the Old Town Historic District, but differentiated from the wood siding of the historic residence. Wood windows and roof slopes would also reflect the style of the existing residence. Additional changes to hardscape at the rear yard include removal of existing concrete paving, mow strip, wood fence, and construction of new concrete patio, concrete pad, and a six foot high wood fence. 257 North Grand is a contributing resource to the Old Town Historic District. The one-story bungalow residence was constructed in 1912. The front porch was enclosed in 1947, and through, uh, although the original piers are still present. There are no permits for the de detached garage. However, aerial photography indicates that the garage was built in the mid-1950s outside of the period of significance. The subject property is located on the east side of North Grand Street in a residential area. It is largely surrounded by other single family houses zoned R16. Most neighboring properties are also contributors to the Old Town Historic District, though the property immediately across from, from the street is a non-contributor. The average FAR for nearby contributing properties on either side of North Grand Street is 0.34, with a range from 0.21 to 0.62. The subject property has an existing FAR of 0.38 and a proposed FAR of 0.43. The existing garage is um, partially visible from the street as it is situated several feet south of the main residence. 
because of the way the design both interpret the new design interprets fe um, features of the main residence while also distinguishing itself as a new construction in a compatible manner this visibility is not anticipated to detract from the character of the property when viewed from the street um, issue number two is massing and views from um, proposed half story above the garage uh, the top ridge of the proposed garage would be roughly a foot lower than the top of the ridge of the main residence, showing subordination of the new structure of, to the main residence. There are other accessory structures constructed behind contributing residences in the vicinity um, that all uh, um, also over one story in height. The massing of the proposed um, garage with the half story will not detract from the neighborhood character as it'll have a um, similar cadence to the other accessory structures in the neighborhood. Windows are primarily at the half story and are primarily located at the west facing the main residence and at the south facing the adjacent property. The window at the south elevation overlooks the roof of the garage to the south property and not the residence avoiding impact to privacy. Issue number three is the fiber cement panel cladding. The applicant is proposing to use smooth fiber cement panels with cedar battens. The historic preservation design standards recommend traditional building materials found on historic buildings to be used in new construction. The applicant would like the fiber cement panels to be considered as a proposed alternative to traditional building materials due to the minimal visibility from the street and use on an accessory structure and not on the main residence. The difference in material does help distinguish the historic building from new con uh, as new construction, while other elements such as the roof line, roof material, and windows provide compatibility in design. Staff believes that the proposed project is appropriate for the site and conforms to the historic preservation design standards and the Secretary of Interior standards. Staff recommends approval of the project subject to conditions. Um, Elements of the historic residence were incorporated into the new construction, including roofline, roof material, and wood windows, but it would still be differentiated due to the cladding material and will not create a false sense of history. Thank you. Thank you. Questions for staff at this point? Actually, before we go there, similar to the last item, today we received an update to the um, developmental standard table. Could you share with us where that changed? Yes. Um, so for this um, property, the developmental, uh, the, the development standards table was changed primarily in the second half of the table. Um, we um, initially, staff had erroneous, erroneously included information that refers to um, uh, primary structures and primary <laughs> residences, but the new setbacks um, have been updated to reflect that of accessory structures. Okay. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay, I, I just want to clarify some things on that table. Um, so, and actually, just want the, the first thing on the building height, uh, I, I know you mentioned in the staff report uh, that it, it, there's a foot difference, but um, I believe, and these, and these dimensions are what's shown on the, on the drawing, but actually because of the grade it's really it's really a three inch difference is that isn't that right 
Um, I would have to double check with that, and I would um, recommend um, confirming with the Wait, applicant. He did. He did mention that in his um, in in his explanation, and if you look at the um, you know d d dimensions above sea level, <laughs> that it, it is a quarter of a quarter of a foot difference. So it's a three inch. It's a three inch difference. Um, then in the and under the setbacks for required setbacks, I'm a little bit I'm unclear. The on the development table it says the the rear setback is zero feet. Um, so minimum zero feet is according to um, the zoning code for um, accessory structures. Because it's because in on the drawings it says that uh, he needs a ten foot setback. Uh, backyard setback and then a 20-foot setback for the second story, which I didn't see that addressed, and, and is asking for an administrative adjustment on that. I'm, I'm a little, un, I'm just unclear if it's a zero, if it's a zero setback. If I could help clarify. Okay. Uh, the zero-foot setback only applies when an accessory building is less than 10 feet in height. Um, once you reach the point where it goes over 10 feet in height, uh, then you have to adhere to the setback standards of the zone, which is 10 feet for a single story, 20 feet for a double story. That would have been a good thing to put on the table. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for that. And, and if I may interject at this point, I had the same issue, and so I took one of my periodic deep dives into the zoning code this afternoon to try to connect the dots. And because it's habitable, um, it is not zero. Hang on just a second here. Um, uh, so 17.14160 is accessory structures, garages, and ADUs. And it says, in fact, um, side yard and rear yard are zero, but see subparagraph F, which says, any accessory structure intended for habitation shall conform to the setback requirements of a principal building. So then if you go to that table, it says that it's five feet on the side setback and the 20 feet on the rear setback, except that for a single story, you can encroach 10 feet into that 20-foot rear setback. <laughs> so this was like one of those... <laughs> Follow the, you know, follow the different sections of the codes and put it all together, um, because I, I, that it didn't strike me as right that it was zero. I, it, it's something, yeah. So, so just for sake of clarification, for an accessory building such as a garage that doesn't have a habitable component, could use a zero setback at the rear, so long as you're under ten within ten. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Okay. Other questions? Okay. Yes. I'm gonna, oh, okay. One, uh, Go ahead. One other question, and that is about um, habitable bonus room. Um, so I understand that if it's habitable space, then it kicks in other kinds of requirements from the building code and the zoning code um, that need to be met. Um, so does a habitable bonus room, is that like an extra bedroom? Is that, what, I mean, what's, what is it equivalent to, or is it just a thing of its own? 
um, I, I guess it's just such a, uh, it's an unusual thing for, for us to see here. So to, to answer that, we will go to the California Building Code to see what the definition of, of habitable space is. It could very well be an office, a study. Uh, it could have uh, plumbing. It may not have plumbing. Um, uh, but uh, Ani, I think you have uh, a, a little building uh, code excerpt, if I'm not mistaken. If you could, uh, would, if, if it's the uh, committee's uh, uh, wish, we can read that to you and, okay. and maybe that'll help. So I guess, so there's, for example, there's a workshop downstairs. That's different than this thing being called habitable. Um, and I guess I, I don't understand um, what makes this habitable. Well, just what that means. What, yeah, what what the implications are of being habitable? I guess. Oh. Okay. Does it mean someone could live there? Does it mean? Um, what what does that mean? Th thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, it it doesn't. It, we're not permitting a unit to live in. Mm -hmm. We're essentially permitting. Uh, a, an area that you could utilize as an office, you could work in. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, perhaps if you had guests that could use the restroom inside the house, they could stay in there, but uh, it, the, the code itself does not allow it to be rented uh, separately. Mm -hmm. It could not be its own unit unless proper permits were, were pulled to do that. Um, and, and so typically a habitable space, just off the top of my head, what we've applied, you'll have insulation, mm -hmm. you'll have drywall, you'll have uh, the right outlets, you know, uh, you'll have to have the right tempering on your, your windows. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, you may need uh, some type of circulation in there. Uh, those are the types of okay. things that make Egress windows, space. probably HVAC, um, some sort of... Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. May, may I add, for my add to that as well? We, we have a definition in the code as well. It's, it's for habitable accessory structure, and it has a little bit more um, detail, I think, than the building code. It says an accessory structure uh, create for habitable space, which may include a bathroom or similar plumbing facilities, does not include a kitchen as defined by this code. Uh, and shall be functionally related to the principal residence. It is not a junior accessory dwelling unit or ADU and shall not have a separate utility meter or address. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about a habitable accessory structure along with all the other criteria that Chad just mentioned, it would be conditioned space, heating, it, something that you could exist in without okay. freezing to death. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, any other questions for staff? One question. What is the finished floor elevation of the new dwelling? I don't see that in the drawings. I may have missed it. Sorry, um, committee member, let me take a look. Um, the finished floor elevation of the first uh, floor yeah, of the new dwelling. The primary dwelling? No, the new uh, oh, oh, the new addition. No. I see the existing is 198.47, but I don't see anywhere where the proposed. Look on A5. A5. 
Oh, there it is. Thank you. It's on A5 front elevation. <coughs> okay, answers my question. Thank you. Okay. There's no other staff questions. I'm going to ask the applicant if they'd like to give a presentation on the project. I um, will state before that begins that I would like a little clarification on the FARs that have been described and included in the staff report. Um, I presume that staff did not carry out the study for the FARs that that was provided by the applicant. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Then I guess what I would like to get clarification during the applicant's presentation is if there was the numbers that have been given to us, if there was any segregation between contemporary development versus historic development, um, this is an issue that I've challenged a little bit as of late because it was a very intentional change in our design standards last time we uh, updated them. But also I see that there is a church, I believe, included in here that has an FAR of 6.2. And if that was calculated in at the same level, because obviously that would skew the average as well. So just if we could get clarification on, I understand that it says contributing properties. Um, but that isn't exactly the way the design standards read. So if we could just get clarification from that since it was provided by the applicant. I presume there's a presentation. Go right ahead if you're ready. <coughs> meet him and get to know him a little bit and then I'll come back to the podium good evening uh, committee uh, chair and staff my name is Aaron Hartman I'm here with my wife Chrissy and my two sons Noah and Jacob um, I just wanted to start off tonight by saying that uh, we appreciate the work you guys do here at the committee to uphold the uh, standards of Old Town um, while also allowing growth, uh, new growth to come in the area. Uh, myself, I've been a lifelong resident in Orange, and my wife grew up in the area and also attended school in Old Town for her whole life. Um, it had always been our dream to own a home in the historic district, and now that we have our home on Grand, we have our two children that we look forward to raising there. Um, the habitable space that we're trying to build above the garage, we're trying to get a proper two-size garage and use the room is an extension of our house um, to put some gym equipment that we currently have in the garage and to use as kind of a um, flex space for the family. I know our children are looking forward to it um, to hopefully use as a distraction-free zone uh, to spend some family time together. So thank you for your time. Thank you. My name is Rick Fox. I'm the architect representing the applicant, and uh, I'm getting over a little laryngitis, so it's not a Demi Moore imitation. 
Um, so I had a couple of comments that I wanted to make, um, and then perhaps we can get to the questions posed by the chair with respect to the FAR. Um, Aaron outlined for you the two primary purposes of this project. One is to create a garage, uh, a two-car garage of the proper size so that it can accommodate the vehicles uh, that the um, Hartmans own, one of which is a little bit oversized. The second purpose, as um, Aaron also outlined, is to create some living space. And so part of the definition of habitable space in the code includes sleeping, living, and dining. So we're focused on the living component of that, which I presume could include um, watching TV, staring at the wall, or reading a book by the fireplace, um, or exercising. So that is really an aspect of living that we're sort of, um, how this becomes a kind of habitable structure. Um, so just briefly, I wanted to let you know that on November 30th, the Hartmans and I met with three members of the OTPA, uh, Tim, Tony, and Carrie, to introduce them to our project. Um, it was a very positive meeting. And my own takeaway from that meeting is that they appreciated the sensitivity of our approach and recognized that this proposal is a strong solution to several intersecting constraints that we have tried to respect, given that this project is a modest residential expansion to a contributing property in Old Town. In addition, during that meeting, they suggested that there were certain pieces of information that might help this committee during its review. So I may touch on those pieces as needed in the balance of my um, presentation and as some of the questions might come up. Um, I'm really glad that our project planner uh, Ms. Ms. Benatsakian has had a chance to update the development standards table. I think that that has provided a great deal of clarity uh, at the outset, and I'm happy to answer any particular questions you may have as to how our response addresses those uh, setback and height requirements. Um, and also, I have a few additional thoughts about the photographs that we included on sheets A7 and A8. We included those photographs for specific reasons. Um, to hope, hopefully illustrate the, um, the compatibility of our proposal and some of the subtlety of the issues that we face in Old Town. Uh, with respect to issue number one, which is visibility, this particular property has a shared driveway with its neighbor, uh, 247 to the south, as you can see in photographs 11A7. By moving our proposed accessory structure further to the north, away from the common property line, away from the neighboring garages. We're hoping to minimize the visibility of our proposed massing from the street. With respect to issue number two, which is overall building massing, I just wanted to sort of point out that the massing of the proposed accessory structure echoes the broad-facing shed and, and, and shed dormer massing of the house. <clears throat> What's important to understand about this is that there are five other instances of this particular broad shed and shed dormer design on Grand, four on the same side of the street as we're on, and one across the street. So this particular form uh, combination is actually quite common on this particular uh, street. The asymmetrical massing of the proposed accessory structure, you'll notice that the front shed and the back shed uh, are the same slopes, but they are, of course, different surface areas. So that asymmetrical massing um, is also uh, takes its inspiration from other contributing structures in Old Town. For example, photographs number 17, 18, and number 20 
on sheet A8 um, provides some uh, examples of structures that have this sort of asymmetrical and even broken slope massing for elements of the building in the rear. With respect to views from our second story or half story that's located at 207.30 feet above sea level. So the question was asked earlier, what is the elevation of the second floor? The answer is 207.30. Um, the ridge of the adjacent garage to the south is by our calculations and, and, and field reconnaissance, 210.3. So the ridge of the building on the south is three foot higher than our floor, which does effectively obstruct any views into the neighbor's backyard from the second floor window. Uh, one of the OTPA members uh, thought that it would be helpful clarification to show the line of the exterior stairs and the landing on the left side elevations and the rear elevations. I have prepared a little um, handout. I don't know where the magic overhead projector is, but uh, oh, look at that. So what, we, what we've added to this uh, drawing right is, is the, um, the landing elevation and the, the treads and risers of the stair that occur beyond this particular screen wall. Okay, let me see if I can repeat that. So what we added is a dashed line to indicate the landing of the stairs as they go up and, and turn and the, um, the, the sawtooth component represents the treads and risers of the lower run of the stair. On the rear elevation, you can see the elevation of the landing um, as it's hidden behind the screen wall. So that was some of the information that was suggested to us might be helpful uh, clarification of the drawings. Um, and there, there may be one or two other points. Um, I, with respect to item number three, I just want to emphasize that the fiber cement board is only being proposed for the flat wall panel surfaces. We will be using natural wood for all the battens, the window and door trims, and all the other exposed wood surfaces will be real wood. Um, and we feel that this helps to mitigate the modernity of the uh, fiber cement panels. So that concludes the, the prepared remarks that I have. So I'm prepared to answer any questions that you have. Thank you. And perhaps you did address it. Um, and I just missed it. Um, the FAR questions that I had? Sure. So on sheet T1 of the drawings, um, you'll note that in the upper right-hand corner of the drawings, the FAR context study, 
there are two different types of hatching that are provided there. One is intended to distinguish two-story structures from non-contributing structures. And as we note, um, the FAR for the contributing properties only is 39 point, excuse me, 34.9. And the calculation doesn't include the FAR for all of the properties on this block. And that was another thing that the OTPA encouraged us to calculate that. So to uh, Chair Bowden's question, the uh, two-story building in the lower right-hand corner of that diagram is included in the overall FAR of all the properties. And when you do the arithmetic on the FAR for all of the properties on the block, the answer comes out to be 39.1. So the FAR on the entire block, uh, including all structures, is much higher than that for contributing structures at 34.9. Okay, I understand that. Was there any attempt at segregating out large contemporary development that's happened, say, in the last 20 years? So, um, if let, we... let, let me share with you where I'm coming from. Sure. When, the, when, the, when the design standards were updated this last time, there was an expressed concern that if we simply use the FAR for a block, um, that that FAR does not necessarily contribute to the historic character of the district as we've seen through the whole South Grand study, the rezone of Old Town, and so on and so forth. So the concern was, is contemporary development just continually upping, 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 upping the average to where the average continually increases? So, you know, I'm looking here at a, a 5.4, I'm sorry, a 0.54 FAR, third property in 230, with a fairly large footprint in the back. Do we know what that is? Um, same thing on the 281.52. Pretty, it looks like a larger building in the rear actually than in the front. And then the 201 building, uh, or the 201-215 address with a 0.62, is that also being calculated into the FAR? Because obviously that's a very different property type, right? That's a church. Correct. Um, so with respect to, I suppose, the meaning of, of contemporary development, um, the way I have looked at this is there are certain properties that are non-contributing primarily because of some non-contributing construction that's been done to the property or some building that exists on the property that was outside the period of significance but not contributing. For example, um, at 281, which you mentioned, um, there is a high FAR of 52.3 and there is a two-story building in the back which is highlighted with dark hatch. That is a plaster multi apartment building, um, and so its, its FAR as, a, as that specific non-contributing building 
was not particularly filtered out of the equation. So when I did the calculations of the FAR, it's the property total for each property that's averaged into the total number of properties. So if, if by contemporary development you mean an apartment building that was built in 1950 or 1960 that has a large FAR and brings the FAR of that property up high, I didn't differentiate that from the little bungalow in the front. And, and likewise, as you suggest, the church in the, in, the, in the front is a sort of a different property type. Um, and there's another example across the street of maybe of a different sort that has a 42.7 um, FAR for the total property. Again, largely because the building in the front has been remodeled and pushes it outside of the contributing character of the neighborhood. And, and that's in large part why the FAR for that property is high. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that, if that helps clarify the approach. It, it does. I'm not sure that I agree with the methodology, but it does provide clarification. Thank you. Yeah. If, if on a property by property basis, we would need to go through and determine whether both structures were contributing or only one, that would cause a rather complicated calculation to emerge. Um, not that it's not possible. It's just I don't have the um, tools at my disposal to differentiate the area of each structure on the property at the moment. Right, right, thank you. Mr. But Chair. that is an inventory that could easily be um, yeah. matricized. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Um, I'm glad you were able to follow that because I wasn't. <laughs> so I'd like to just uh, ask for some clarification. So you have a calculation on this table saying the average FAR for contributing properties is 34.9. Correct. That includes um, all the properties except two that are shown in Hatchmark. Is that Correct. Right? We've excluded the non-contributors those Which two, means that those the rest are contributors. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it it also includes the sixty two point one, which is a non residential for the most part. Um, I, I believe so, property. but I would okay. have to dig deep into my okay. notes to review that. So that means that if the church property were excluded, the average would be even lower. Um, than the calculation you've made here. So I think um, that may be the reference just made to the methodology um, uh, because this calculation, well, um, okay, so that, that helps me understand. Thank you. Okay. I'd certainly be willing to clarify that with additional detail if I can have time to work it out, but. Okay. Okay, other questions for the applicant at this time? I do have some speakers. I, I do have one more. Um, it appears from the footprint of the building that there was a rear addition, um, and also from the FAR itself, um, but that's not, wasn't mentioned. Um, You're talking about the... Um, to the home, to the... The main residence the itself. The primary principal residence, uh-huh. Um, the residence, the, the addition to the residence, I believe, was done in 2004. Okay. Um, and I wasn't following your question with respect to whether it was or wasn't included in the... Uh, no, it doesn't, the question did not relate to um, FAR, but I didn't see any reference to it um, made either in, in the 
presentation, the staff report. So, but it, it seems like just based on that, that building footprint, that that's not the original um, footprint of the historic home that looks like it was an addition. Yeah, that's, that is a true statement. Okay. There was an addition to the home in the rear uh, in 2004 that um, I think in the letter of justification, we described a little bit more of that. Oh, okay. I Let's see. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I do have some speakers. Okay. Thank you. If you'd have a seat, we may have questions for you later, of course. Certainly. Uh, first up is Sue Vores, and behind her is Tony Tribuco. Just state your name, and you have three minutes for comment. Sue Vores. There are uh, some, ish some things with this project that seem like they need further discussion, and I know we've already touched on some of them. There's only four feet nine inches between the garage and the house roofs, and this is a very tight eave separation even for Old Town and something that the DRC frequently scrutinizes. And um, you also express opposition to two-story developments that have direct views into neighbors' yards. And the window on the second story is clearly much larger than it needs to be, especially when you look at the smaller window on the first floor of the garage. And as far as habitable garage, is this a non-ADU what does it really mean? Will the owner have the ability to use these buildings as an ADU or a junior ADU in the future? The increase in second and third units to our homes and the resulting density and lack of parking have been disasters for our neighborhoods, our quality of life, and our historic nature. And I think our historic nature is not just about buildings, but density and quality. Thank you. Thank you, and up next is Tony Tribuco. Good evening, uh, DRC Chair and members. Tony Tribuco with OTPA. Um, as the applicant mentioned, we did meet with them, several of us. Um, on the plus side, we're, we're glad to see that the property was moved to the north. Obviously, the setback uh, was a little bit higher uh, than it is currently, getting rid of kind of a Home Depot-esque, uh, almost like a giant tough shed garage that's there. Um, I think it'll improve actually the view on the streetscape a little bit. As the applicant mentioned, really won't see it as much because it's kind of shifted over and it sits fairly well back on the lot. Um, we were a little concerned with the height, of course. Um, it'd be nicer if it was a little bit lower, but uh, given the use and the pitch of the roof, it looks like there's not going to be a lot of habitable space on the interior. Um, one other suggestion, at least, that I made was that perhaps to differentiate um, that building was to maybe paint it in a different palette, maybe more like a barn-type um, structure so that it, it gave it more of a utilitarian <coughs> feel. Um, we did also discuss the FARs, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I think one of the things that we were looking at was differentiating, uh, calculate using calculations that had included inappropriate additions over the years to the other properties on the block, and I think that block probably has some of those, and obviously you folks pointed that out uh, very appropriately. Um, and I'm a math guy, but I can't do it in my head, and so a lot of what he was talking about uh, uh, 
uh, kind of went over my head. I can do it when I look at it, though, and I might suggest very simply that in the future, uh, these applications just have a, a table that shows which properties were included, which weren't, and the calculations. It seems like that would be simpler for everybody involved, including the general public, and then we could very easily see what was included and what was excluded um, in those calculations. But anyway, um, for, but other than that, like I said, I, it, um, it would not be an unwelcome addition uh, again, granted that the use that they were going to use uh, use it for was for simple living, and again, not as a as an ADU, which we know that they have the the right to do. But we certainly hope that not everybody uh, takes advantage of that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask a couple questions of staff um, that I had actually in, in my mind that some have been brought up by the speakers as well. Um, the, I think as was expressed here earlier, there's because of the unusual nature, this just is not an application that we frequently see habitable space, two-story in a new garage. The question was posed, well, the statement was made that it could be used for living, essentially, in the same way that a house would, and that it could have plumbing or not have plumbing. The application in front of us does not have plumbing. Uh, if the applicant or future owners or whatever wanted to install plumbing in this, would there be any noticing to the neighbors? if it's already habitable space, or is this just a interior remodel like any other project? If this, <clears throat> I, I just want to fully divulge to the community what we're doing here, that's all. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, if an ADU application were to come in the future, it could be uh, converted, and it could also include plumbing it would not require noticing because of the state override on our ability. There is another provision of the Orange Municipal Code that talks about um, plumbing in inhabitable facilities. Uh, under those provisions, a conditional use permit is, is typically re required. I think probably in Old Town, I'm pretty sure it's required mandatorily. Uh, that would be a conditional use permit the public would be noticed. Okay, so understanding that ADU, there's a lot of um, legislation that talks about how those are reviewed, so I understand that. Um, so are you, you're suggesting that if plumbing were to be put into this, that it would require a conditional use permit? They'd have to apply for that? And if you need some time to figure that out, again, I just, I want, um, I want us to understand and I want the community to understand that they were noticed on one thing, and um, if there's opportunities, because this is not something that we deal with frequently, it would be good for us to know that up front, I think. I can get that for you fairly quickly. Allow me five. Okay, great, thank you. Questions, discussion? Ready for comments? Do you wanna go ahead and start? Certainly. Um, 
I did want to uh, congratulate the applicant team on the very handsome design of the primary facade of this new building. I think it's very nicely done. I like the use of the board and battened to do um, a really good job of differentiation. Um, I normally don't like to see fiber cement board being used in the historic district, although it, it, it's possible for it to be allowed. Um, but I think it's appropriate for the board and batten um, style um, cladding. So I, I don't have any problem with it in, in this particular um, use. Having said that, um, I go next to the floor area ratio, the FAR. And what our um, design standards say is to not exceed the average of the block. Um, and the property as it stands today already exceeds the average. The average being 3.49 and the existing floor area ratio of this property is 3.88 and they're proposing to um, this proposal is to increase it even further to 0.43. Um, the design standards also note that most historic properties in the district are between 0.15 and 0.25, and that substantially higher is unlikely to be compatible with the historic district. And so um, I take issue with the proposal just because um, it, it does not conform to this one part of our um, historic design standards um, in terms of how much square footage of, of building space we're putting on, we're proposing to put on this uh, property. Um, another requirement in the design standards is the historic pattern of development. And while this is located in an area that would be appropriate to the overall pattern, the, the home is in closer to the street, um, the driveway goes to the back part of the property and the garage is located there at the end of the driveway. I have to say that the density of, develop, of the buildings um, with this proposed new garage is not following the historic pattern of development. The proximity of the garage to the principal structure. Um, it slightly exceeds the minimum separation wall to wall, um, but when you add in those roof overhangs, they come very close, and that certainly is not in keeping with the historic pattern of development. Um, the building form and the mass and scale, um, the design standards call for basic rectangular forms for accessory structures simple roof configurations. And while, while the proposal meets all of the numbers in the zoning code in terms of setback and height, it just barely does that. And it's, it, it, it reflects this sort of squeezing too much onto this building envelope um, that makes it butt up right against those limitations um, but fails to really meet that building form and mass and scale of a secondary unit. Yes, the roof is a foot shorter than the primary residence, but to somebody walking by, to somebody who sees this, 
um, either from the street or from um, adjoining properties or, or from within this property, it's, it's not going to look a whole lot um, subordinate um, on, on, in terms of height. And then finally, um, the window to the south facade may face on to the neighbor's garage roof, but it still allows views um, on an oblique angle into the backyard. And uh, this is not uh, um, specific to Old Town, but um, in our zoning code, we're supposed to be ensuring that new development does not impinge on the privacy of people's homes or their backyards. And so for those reasons, um, I, I don't feel I'm able to support this project as proposed. Thank you. For everyone's reading pleasure, it appears that Chad has placed a section of our code on the magic screen. And if I am reading this correctly, Mr. Ortlieb, if the property area is less than 20,000 square feet, which this would be, inclusion of plumbing facilities inside a habitable space of an, of an accessory building would be subject to approval by conditional use permit. Is that correct? That is correct. Great. Thank you for researching that for us. Comments either way over here? Either one over here? I have, Go ahead. Yes, Go ahead. I have a few comments. Um, first of all, I would like to say that I think that the the overall design of it is is very very well done in terms of proportion, uh, I, in terms of of just the um, the pleasant um, aspects of the the way that it's that it's been designed. I agree. I agree with the. Uh, the use of the roof form mimicking the uh, the shed uh, dormer and the um, uh, the the house design, the primary the primary structure design. I think that's an appropriate way to approach the problem. Uh, I'm okay with that, and I also think the idea of making a barn-like accessory building is is appropriate. Uh, the, I feel the fiber cement materials and the wood windows and all the things that have been called out are also appropriate. Um, the areas that I have concerns are uh, with the, the, the backyard, what is also left of the backyard with the way that this building is positioned. So even though we're, we're moving away from the side property line in order and we have less of a view of it from the street that causes more encroachment into the backyard and since the house already has an addition on it which encroaches into the the backyard um i i have concerns about what's left uh for for usability um even though it's within the within the permitted Distances. I have seen this in other in other places in Old Town where a really large um, new construction in the backyard ends up taking up so much of the play space for the kids that they're out in the street all the time, and it really is. Um, it's it, it. I think it, it can be a, a problem, uh, and 
I like to make sure that this that the space that's left is usable because there seems to be a lot behind the property between the fence. It's I don't know what that area really contributes to, you know, recreational open space for the family. Um, and then just in terms of details, although I, I like the board in Batten treatment to distinguish the building as a more utilitarian building, I think that's appropriate. I'm afraid that since height is an issue here, being so close to the existing house, the Battens just serve to emphasize the verticality. Um, and in this case, I'm, I might prefer seeing horizontal siding since since we're really only talking inches uh, difference in height between the house and the garage. Uh, and then also I noticed that even though we don't really dictate house colors or garage colors to uh, residences in, in Old Town, I think a black and white color scheme is not terribly appropriate for this building, I would like to see it more neutral so that it'll blend into the scenery rather than jump out. And I think black and white is very stark. I know it's trendy and popular, but uh, I, I, would recommend, I would recommend against that. So uh, overall, I find this to be um, well-designed and appropriate, but it is, as my colleague mentioned, really squeezed in there. Uh, it's very, it may meet the requirements for how close it is to the house, but it seems really close to the house. A big part of that is because there's an addition on the house. Um, so I, and if it wasn't two stories, you could be, you could be further toward, you wouldn't need such a big setback. Um, so I see how the design by, by picking the roof form and uh, picking the ha and having a second story and needing a habitable space. And the habitable space is really, it's not that large. I realize that it's that, you know, you've tried to, to minimize as much as you can, and this is what, this is what results. And um, it seems very tight to me. It doesn't, it doesn't look comfortable on the site, however, as as was brought up, it is not as visible as the current garage from the from the street. But it it is a squeeze, in my opinion. Thank you, Committee Member Farfan. Thank you. Um, a lot of good points from my colleagues here. I tend to agree on a lot of them. Um, three main things I feel are important. I think the window that the resident mentioned is really big and that could be made a little smaller. Um, I also agree, I feel the building's too tall. And my third is the horizontal board and bat. Everything I'm seeing here on an existing structure is horizontal. So to have something vertical, just it just doesn't feel like it fits in. So the massing, the material uh, verticality, and the window um, makes it uh, hard for me to approve tonight. Um, also, the last thing is the FAR. I really, on my previous analysis of other projects we reviewed, I really look at the FAR as how the neighborhood is shaping up. And a good point that was made in terms of with the average, and it's already passes the, the existing FAR already passes the average, and now we're adding even more. Um, 
what does that mean to this historical area? Just it's just getting denser, denser, and that's not what uh, I believe folks want in this neighborhood. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I think a lot of good comments and discussion has occurred. Um, a couple things. I'll start with the FAR. Um, and of course, FAR, um, the true maximum is 0.7 in single family residential. Am I correct? Um, it's 0 0.6. 0 0.6. Thanks. And in Old Town, uh, in particular, we look at historic FARs to help guide. So while there may be 0.6 on paper, there's nothing that says if you built 0.6 that it might not have a, that it might have a negative impact on the, the neighborhood. So that's why we kind of measure it this way. Um, I think that the information that's been given for this project, as well as a few in the past, I think is falling short of providing me with uh, a comfort level of really having an understanding of what that FAR is. Um, and maybe because part of it was when those standards were updated, um, I was there in the room when it happened. And I, I, I think some of these people may have been. Um, and the, the intention that, that was put forth to do that. And I think what committee member Farfan has mentioned is that the, the obvious kind of conclusion of that is that each time there's a development of this magnitude, it keeps driving that average higher and higher and higher and higher. So every project that comes before it, that threshold has been raised and been raised and been raised, which was the reason that we changed the design standards to speak specifically to historic development. Now, many of us up, many of us up here, including myself, often say, you know, well, what, what, if, what is the number? What's the approvable number? I, I can't say that there's an approvable number for myself. It's, you know the bulk and mass when you see it, but the FAR certainly helps give us a sense of how it's fitting in within its context. So, in terms of the design, um, I think that the board and batten for myself is acceptable, generally speaking, because I think particularly for a two-story building, accessory building in Old Town Orange, and again, is guided by our design standards, um, that it would be most appropriate to look more toward utilitarian buildings, which generally were board and batten. Um, However, there's also the, the simple rectangular forms, simple roof forms, and, and, and I don't think this building uh, follows that tradition. The roof forms are very complex, and the exterior staircase adds um, also complexity to, to what would otherwise be a simple form. So I'm having a little bit of a hard time reconciling those two together. The eave separation is something that we talk about all the time. I don't recall that we've ever had one, at least in recent history, this small. Um, I'm standing outside my home today and looking at my eaves, and the eaves alone on my house are more than four foot nine. So 
you know, I look at how close these two are going to be together, and it, it's very close. Um, the exterior stairway, you know, it's not in our design standards anymore, but for a long time, exterior stairways were prohibited with new construction in Old Town, and even though it's not there, it makes me question, is that the appropriate thing to do? But of course, bringing it inside would yet again add more bulk and mass to the, to the, um, to the project. So, also the window. I agree that for a utilitarian, this project has seemed to take in the direction of a more utilitarian building, but then it has a very large window in the second story which really, again, doesn't, in my opinion, go with that language, but more importantly, offers direct view into the neighbor's um, rear yard, from what I can tell. Granted, there is a garage there, um, but sometimes people demolish the historic garages in their backyard, like the project that we're considering here this evening. So I don't think that that imposition is, is something that should be placed on the neighbor. That's quite typical with this committee that we ask that those kind of um, views not be created. So I would need to see that window um, reduced in size. Perhaps that is an egress window, um, but as many bedroom windows are that come in front of us, we have to find solutions to not impose on the neighbors. Um, at the end of the day, um, I see a project that requires administrative adjustments, not because we're trying to adaptively reuse a historic structure um, or, or anything that really involves the preservation of a historic resource, but really purely for the development of new building on a historic site. Um, and the previous additions, as mentioned, contribute to this, to this issue. Um, the program, as it's put forward, a garage, a workshop, and then a second story flex space that is habitable, all places this building gives it its bulk and mass and positions it in regard to setbacks. Um, those are all design issues unique to this project, not, as I say, intended to provide for continued use of a historic property. Uh, last, the, um, well, maybe I'll just leave it there. Um, for me, it's, I think there's an opportunity for a project here, not all that dissimilar from what's proposed, but in its current state, Based on the amount of addition that is already on this property, uh, now this inclusion and what it does in terms of not only meeting our usual expectations for projects, views into neighbors' yards and all those kinds of things, but also the Secretary of Interior standards that um, requires us to consider the preservation of the spatial relationships of a property. And this property already has a large addition and is now proposing even more addition. And it, it's just at some point, it, it not only, um, you know, it just starts to kind of close in on itself, not only from a 
Old Town perspective, but also from the Secretary of Interior standards. So as presented, I will not be able to support the project in its current form. Um, unless there's further questions for the applicant or the staff, I'll entertain any motions that might be there. Mr. Chair, I'd like to offer a motion to continue the item if the applicant um, would like to do that. Okay. Is there a second for that? I, I'm willing to second that, that motion, but I would like for us to make sure that we can agree on, on what kind of direction um, we, the applicant can take away something that that's workable because I, I'm not sure that we all are on the same page of what would be acceptable either. So I would like to have further discussion before we vote on this, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm willing to second that. Okay. So with that, yeah, go ahead and come on out. So we have a motion and a second on the dais to continue to address some of these issues. Is that something that you'd like to? Yes, we would like to entertain that motion. Okay. Um, with respect to further direction, um, I'd like to get a couple of clarifying yes. questions answered, if that's possible. Go ahead and ask, yes. Okay. So to address the FAR question directly, the terms historic versus contemporary, can you help me understand how I classify the FAR of the main house of this structure, part of which was built in 1912 and part of which was added on to in 2004? Do I add the 2004 part as contemporary development? And do I have to do that for every property on the block? Yeah. Or do we simply say, this is a contributing structure. It's been expanded. It was previously approved. It's still considered a contributing structure due to its expansion. And therefore, all of that FAR for that particular home would be considered historic FAR. Yeah, I think that's a good question. We'll discuss that during. Okay. our conversation, and then you had a second question, did you? Um, yes, so with respect, I want to put this, this ADU thing to bed once and for all. We met with Jim Wong at the building department in January, and he told us quite clearly that the building separation that we're proposing would be far inadequate for an ADU, and it would not be permitted as an ADU period. So in addition to all the discussion about plumbing, there's no way that this could be an ADU because it's too close to the main building it would have to be further away from the main building in order to qualify as an ADU under the building code, regardless of what SB, whatever it is, says about non-city interference with ADUs and so on and so forth. So um, the building as it stands now complies with the six-foot separation, wall-to-wall, um, and there may be differences of opinion as to how the roof forms impact the sense of building separation, um, but there's no way that, that the separation we have now would be approved by the building official as an ADU under any circumstances, as I understand it. Okay. So that's why Jim Wong asked us to put down on the plans, this is not an ADU, so that everybody knows that's not what we're trying to do, and everybody knows that this is approved as not an ADU. Yeah. So in addition to the conditional use permit issues that would surface, we'd also have this previous approval um, by all parties that would clearly indicate that it's not an ADU. Right, right. So, That's um, helpful. Thank you. I, I wanted to put, put that to bed uh, sort of once and for all. Yeah. And um, I could ask some detailed questions about your remarks. Uh, perhaps 
that might be getting a little bit lost in the weeds. Um, I believe that I have heard and made notes uh, from all of the uh, committee members. There were some elements of disagreement almost on a two-to-two -two basis, so that makes it difficult for me to know how to proceed. Um, I heard two yeses on the board in Batten and two, and then I heard two uh, approvals or two folks in favor of the basic forms of the building, but they weren't simple enough. So I want to ask some probing questions about what simple enough would look like, if that's okay. We'll, we'll discuss all of it. Okay, is, okay. That, is that fair, it for your questions? Fair enough. That's, okay. that's a fair enough. If you would like to discuss that, that would be helpful. Okay. Um, I understand the, the, the south-facing window, um, you know, is just a window. If we need to make it smaller, we can make it smaller, not a problem. Um, it's not an egress window because this is not a bedroom. Okay, so okay. I want to put that to bed as well. Um, okay, so I think that those are the three main things that, that I wanted to sort of get out on the table um, as you discuss uh, crafting your condition Great. of continuance. Great, thank you. Okay, so we have a, a motion to continue in a well, second. Well, I didn't actually make a motion yet. I said I would be willing to make a motion if they wanted a continuance, so. <laughs> Okay. Technically, I didn't, I so, didn't make one yet. <laughs> so I've been teased with uh, okay. continuance. Yes. Um, and it sounds like that's the direction we'd like to go. It sounds like the direction the applicant would like to go. So I think we should spend a little bit of time talking about what we agree on, what we don't disagree on, um, as well as um, direction. However, before we go there for myself, I want to share, it's very uncomfortable for me to write a prescription. I mean, you're a designer, you know how that works. That, um... Yeah, I'm not expecting a prescription. Okay, okay. So um, let's, let's talk first about Borden Batten. Um, again, there is a tradition of building larger two-story accessory buildings at the rear of single-family homes in this neighborhood that is Borden-Batten. Um, I agree with the comment that painting it any color other than white would probably be the thing to do mm -hmm. just from a sheer bulk and mass, regardless of kind of the trendiness of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, it just makes it look bigger, even. So, um, at the end of the day, whether this thing has siding on it or board and batten is not going to be the game changer for me. I don't know if it will for any of you. We may have a preference, but at the end of the day, that to me is not the... The thing, the thing to me about the board and batten is the, the verticality of it in, prox in, in the location where it is. If yeah. this was set, if this yeah. was a zero yeah. setback, it would be totally different. But since it's so close to the house, it, and it's only three inches so shorter, it, it's like if you're, wearing, if you're wearing vertical stripes or a horizontal, you know, it makes you look different. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and that's the thing. So I would, it depends on if this can be, if this can be moved further away from the primary residence, then it, that makes a difference. Okay. I, I think that answers it myself. I mean, again, I, I, I don't think our job is to write a prescription here of what to come back with. Um, yeah. So, um, what about Mr. Farfan, you, you also you, made a comment you? about the verticality. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, Let me turn on my mic there. 
I know that um, previous decisions, we want the, the sec addition to look different. So I, I understand why we're doing the board and bat. I think the proximity is an issue. I agree with you. Um, but I'm not sure doing horizontal siding would even solve that. Uh, so maybe the solution for me, if we were to solve the other issues, would be a different color. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I, that's a good compromise. Okay. Thank you. Um, you talk about building form. Building form. Um, I, I, I'm just going to say myself, it's, we all know what a shed looks like, four simple walls. We know what a barn looks like, four simple walls. This is not four simple, you know, with a simple gable roof. This is many different roof forms and walls in and out. And to me, that's very mm -hmm. clear. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if everyone agrees that this, if it were simplified, it would have more of a utilitarian shape, uh, appearance. Maybe that's the question to ask from everyone. I could I could approve a simplified version or I don't think that I would be prevented from approving something that mimicked the house. So I none of it is a is a deal breaker necessarily okay. for me. Okay. Any other comments on that thought? Okay. Window. It's a deal breaker for me. We do this in every single project. I don't see a reason to do it different here. It could here. Eas easily be easily a be higher, yeah. different, whatever. Right, right. Um, FAR, I understand the point of the question. I think it's more of a common sense approach. If a house has a two-car garage or even a three-car garage with an, an apartment over the top of it, that's clearly not historic development. That should not be taken into account. If a house has a rear addition on the back that's not visible from the street, it's a modest addition, I don't think any of us expect that to, because I get it, you can't separate, all of these homes have had additions over the years and what's historic and not historic and maybe even something fits in the period of significance but it's not really compatible with the original style. So I don't think we can get into the weeds that far but if there's, significant square footage that is clearly not historic, I think that should be made very clear to us so that we understand how that fits into the calculation. And again, this is driven by the design standards. And I would go so far as that I think we should ask staff to create some type of a template because everyone brings us different information, you know, if I may, um, just from a practical point of view, I'm trying to think if I were an applicant or I were the designer, I don't have access to people's backyards. Right. So I don't know, you know, I can't even make a guess at what era some building addition is or an addition to the garage or maybe even, I don't think we often had second stories to garages, but maybe a barn or something like that or a carriage house that had one and a half story. So. From a practical perspective, I'm not sure how applicants are really going to, I mean, unless it's something glaring, um, how they would do that. Having said that, though, I think the church property, that parcel on the corner, should be excluded from the calculation. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying it's is non, glaring. It's yeah. non-residential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some other things that are glaring, but then you're, like, picking out some of the parcels because it's, you know, visible from the street, the one on the... 
um, the corner that has the two-story garage around the, you know, on the side street. You know, you're you're going to pick out that one, but you don't know these other ones that you can't see the backyard and what what two-story thing is back there. I, I don't know practically how how an applicant can go about doing that, um, but I think it's simple to leave out the non-residential parcel, even though it has a little building that probably that may have been a residence at some point in the I know on the on the side. Um, so that's my my view on okay. the FAR. Okay. But, and I'll, I'll say this also, um, it's already exceeds the average for the block. Yes, yes. And if the church property goes out of the calculation, the average is going to come down. Right. And so I'd like to offer them the opportunity to come back with a, with a revised proposal, but yeah. they're, still, they're still over the average from the yeah. get-go. Yeah, okay. And may I ask a question of staff? So um, because of the building separation distance, if it's not eligible to become at some future point um, an ADU, could it be a junior ADU since it's existing space? Well, I'm not qualified to, to answer on the um, building code side as far as what disqualifies it. I could only speak to the planning criteria. Mm -hmm. And my understanding of state law is that you have an existing structure, you are eligible to convert it. So um, I'm not privy to whatever the building code uh, reasons were. So okay. my apologies. Okay. Okay. Could, I, could I just um, add to that? A junior ADU actually has to be a part of or attached to the primary dwelling. So okay. this is detached, so this would never qualify for a junior ADU. And as far as um, conversion of this to an ADU, I believe that we would have already demonstrated fire safety um, okay. uh, issues. Yeah, okay. issues, thank you. So just for clarification, <clears throat> discussion of conversion of existing garages in Old Town to ADUs, what you're saying is, those are all ADUs, not JADUs, because those have to occur in the house. If it's a detached garage, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. that is correct. Okay, okay, that's helpful, thank you. However, that room could be rented. Well. Not without, without plumbing. No, yeah, there's, <laughs> but there's they, no. if they were to put plumbing in, it could just be a room rental, right? Without. Well, I, I believe that, that there it has, it would have to have kitchen facilities, uh, kitchen and bathroom, to be a, a recognized uh, room rent. Or excuse me, yeah. dwelling unit. If they're renting it for for sleeping and living purposes, then it would have to be a dwelling unit, which would require kitchen facilities or uh, and a bathroom. Mm -hmm. Also, well, there's also the undefined workshop downstairs because this this is larger than a two-car garage um, but I believe that the workshop area is the part of that program makes the makes the volumes work arch, you know architecturally ge geometrically yeah yeah okay um, any further que not not questions but just general comments that should be made 
you know, prior to going off and making revisions. Really, for myself, clearly the project doesn't meet developmental standards because there's a request for administrative adjustments. And again, I want to go back and reiterate that those are all created by this project, by the design of this project, and by the program of this project. Um, while it's not ultimately up to me whether those administrative adjustments are given or not, it's a signal along with the FAR to me that this project is proposing a lot, an awful lot. Um, so that would be what I would, that would be my own direction, priority given to the applicants to think about how that might be edited in order to come back with a building that those that are charged with determining what is appropriate for Old Town can make that determination. So other questions or comments? Otherwise, I'd ask for a motion or I'll make one um. myself. What is the, uh, what do my colleagues think? Uh, can we get by with just a clean motion to continue um, to revise per comments made at the meeting or do I need to reiterate what those details were? I'd, I'd rather leave it for the meeting myself. Yes, I, I don't think it's necessary okay. to iterate. Uh, you may want to also consider whether to, to continue it to a date certain or uh, just an open date, in which case re-noticing re would be required. Can we ask that, that? That's entirely up to the applicant. If we don't continue to a date certain, it would require re-noticing for that meeting. If we um, continue to a date certain, that can be done without re-noticing, but of course that requires meeting that deadline. We're, we're getting continued again. Time. <laughs> um, I'm just... So an open-ended question, um, does date certain um, Can We can me. continue an item from a date certain should you not make the deadline. I mean, we try not to do that, but. How, how, I guess my question uh, right now is how much choice does the applicant have with respect to what, which date? It's wide open. Okay. It's I, I, largely, I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd you, rather you prefer... can't you can't come back in two weeks, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying a, to parse out. A reasonable out date, yeah. That's and it does have to, to be it does have to be a night that we're actually meeting. That would be two. We can't hold a special meeting. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I guess what I'm trying to say is um, a date certain would be preferred um, because we've already got the noticing sure. in the process. Um, a, a date in March might be workable. Okay. I mean, if that's First too meeting, far second meeting. Second meeting in March, have, maybe, if that's not too far away. You have dates with you. You it, came does that, per, does that permit us to achieve um, yeah, let, new submittal Let's start with that, well? and then staff okay. can work backwards in terms of what deadline that gives you. So what are the dates in March? The 1st and the 15th. 1st and 15th. Um, when would we typically want, how many days prior to that meeting would we typically want submittal back from the applicant? Presuming that it's a good to go. I mean, I realize there's some contingencies there, but. And we do have the three-day holiday uh, for Washington's birthday. 
you might. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for announcing that. <laughs> does, uh, that's does February twentieth. Uh, <laughs> does the first meeting in April push us too far out? That not from our perspective. Okay, then. If the first meeting in April is, gives us the opportunity to do the um, the submittals, and just just as a measure of thumb, coming back to you three weeks ahead, four weeks ahead, prior to that, what do, what's a good guide in term for you to review the project, prepare the staff report? I mean, how long does staff typically want to build in for that? Thank you so much for asking that. We have quite the internal review process and the, I've the, heard, the layers. Yeah. Um, so we would appreciate uh, at least 30 days. Okay. Is that good? You want us to go there? Uh, what's the first April meeting? April 5th. April 5th. With that, so to the maker Mr. Of the Chair, motion. I will move to continue DRC number 5088-22, the Hartman residence at 257 North Grand Street until March 5th, 2020. I mean, I'm sorry, April 5th, 2023, so that the applicant has a chance to make a revisions based on comments made by the committee this evening. And I'll second that motion. Okay, we have a motion to approve and a second. The applicant has accepted that. Please vote. Okay, the continuance is unanimously approved. Do we need a break or move on? Oh, that's true. Oh, and we have someone coming back that we've lost. So why don't we take just a quick five minutes? Okay, we're gonna call the meeting back to order. We have one item left, which is design review item number 5091-22, Drenner Residence located at 424 South Grand Street. If we could start with a staff report, please. Hello again. Um, the applicant proposes to construct a new 465 square foot one-story detached garage at the rear yard of an existing dwelling. The existing dwelling is a contributor to the Old Town Historic District. The garage would face the existing alley behind the property and include parking for two cars. Exterior walls will be clad in six-inch horizontal wood siding painted to match the color of the existing residence. There will be two segmented roll-up garage doors at the west elevation and a solid core wood door at the east elevation. The roof would be clad in composite asphalt shingles similar to the existing residence. 424 South Grand Street is a contributing resource to the Old Town Historic District. It is a single-story cottage-style residence constructed in 1906. It has a box plan, wide lap siding, and a pyramidal roof with Victorian ornamentation on the front-facing attic dormer and decorative shingles. The property also contains an existing detached carriage house that is currently used as storage for the owner's vintage automobile. No work is proposed to the existing residence or the carriage house. The property is located on the west side of South Grand Street in a residential area of the Old Town Historic District. It is surrounded by other single-family houses zoned R16. 
All properties along South Grand between East Culver Avenue to the north and East La Vida Avenue to the south are contributors to the historic district. The applicant prepared a vicinity FAR analysis for the west side of South Grand Street showing the average FAR to be 0.39 with FAR of properties ranging from 0.22 to 0.57. The proposed project would increase the existing FAR at the property from 0.34 to 0.42. Per the, existing, uh, per the historic preservation design standards, new construction should be consistent with the mass scale materials, height, roof form, setbacks, and patterns of windows and doors of existing buildings on the street. As presented, the design of the new garage appears to be appropriate and was designed to be subordinate. It is at a much lower height than the historic residence and is not visible from the street. Materials and design take cues from the historic residence while not presenting itself as an original to the property and creating a false sense of history. The new garage appears to be compatible with the existing buildings on the property and would not adversely impact the historic district. Staff believes the proposed project is in conformance with the historic preservation design standards and the Secretary of Interior standards. The detached garage is subordinate to the main residence while still being compatible in materials and design. Because it is at the rear of the property and sits behind the main residence, it is not visible from the street and would not adversely affect the character of the district. Staff recommends approval of the project. And that concludes my presentation. Thank you. Great, thank you. Questions for staff at this time before we move on to the applicant? Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, the table on sheet one that's calculating the FAR of the vicinity uh, only is listing one side of the block, one side of the street on that block. Um, so can I assume that the data is only using half the block rather than the whole block? Uh, yes, the data is only using half a block. Um, and moving forward, staff will uh, standardize the way that FAR analysis is conducted. Okay. Um, and I believe this building has a two-story addition. It's described in the staff report as a one-story. But it looks like a much taller... Yeah, it's definitely two-story. ...taller form um, toward the back. Um, I just need one moment to pull up the original DPR form, and oh. I can okay. um, provide an answer. Sure. I apologize. Should we go ahead with staff, uh, with uh, applicant? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I assume you want to make a presentation, right? Yeah, come right ahead. Micro and designer on this project. Um, I did want to clarify the FAR analysis. Um, the reason I did that one side of the block is because it is the exact image that's depicted in the historic design standards for an FAR analysis. Mm. So I was literally just trying to follow the picture in the book. Okay. <laughs> um, Thank you. And moving forward, you know, we can do both sides when asked. Um, this project um, came to us because the owner wanted to tear down his garage. And we obviously told him, well, we definitely shouldn't do that, right? So um, the existing carriage house, um, I, I won't call it a garage because it really isn't, 
Um, it is typical for the era that it was constructed in. Um, to our knowledge, there's no footings. Um, we've seen several of these where the wood is sitting on dirt. Um, it's, it has settled over the years and it is not level or plumb. Um, the concrete in that someone put down inside the garage is unreinforced, probably two inches thick. And um, the dimensions of it are, you know, not really appropriate for a two-car garage. And to convert that to a two-car garage, we felt would be much more controversial than leaving that alone, putting a garage that faces an alley um, and hiding it behind <coughs> the main house. Several of the properties on that at that face that alley have garages that open into the alley. Um, so all of that was considered. Um, and we also felt that a single two-car uh, width roll-up door would not be um, contributing to, uh, to any uh, aesthetic even though it's an alley. Uh, so we proposed two single sectional roll-up doors. Um, I have um, gone and gotten a uh, kind of a standard um, garage, steel garage door that um, we were proposing to use. I don't, um, we didn't specify it on these plans, but if that, if you guys would like to see that, um, I can give you yeah, that to Yeah, please go ahead and staff. I have highlighted the, uh, the door uh, style that we were going to propose. Um, it is going to be a sectional roll-up door, but um, it'll, it's st steel uh, because it faces an alley. Uh, wood wouldn't be the best. We're not proposing any windows in the roll-up door because it faces an alley. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's better than what you see on our exterior elevations because what you see on our exterior elevations is um, unfortunately a byproduct of our software <coughs> and um, it's a little complicated to draft up what we're actually proposing. Um, and as far as the placement and design and dimensions of the garage, uh, we tried to match the pitch of the existing carriage house to, you know, not overpower anything. Um, we are showing a um, pretty standard size depth and width garage with uh, a couple extra feet of depth just for some counter space, storage space uh, for, you know, a countertop or cabinet or something um, and um, you know beyond that we we wanted to place it just to make sure that we were maintaining all the open space requirements and um, all of that but it's other than that it's a pretty straightforward product project and um, look forward to hearing your comments okay thank you Uh, Chair Moden, I have an answer for committee member Scorpanich. Go, go right ahead, please. Thank you. Um, 
the description in the presentation was an oversight which um, reflected the information in the original DPR form. It is a two-story structure, um, and according to the photographs um, that have been recorded for the property from the 2005 survey and the 1991 survey, it appears that the second-story structure was um, present in both of them. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and take public speakers now. First is Tony Tribuco. Behind him I have uh, both John Good and Annalisa Good. Um, ladies first. And I just have those three. Go right ahead when you're ready. Good evening again. Uh, Tony Tribuco with OTPA. Um, the thing I like about this project is the fact that you can't see it from the street. Um, the thing that gives me heartache is that uh, I think the FAR on this project is already pretty high given the uh, expansion to the original house. And I also have a concern about the carriage house um, being that, uh, as it was described by the applicant, somewhat dilapidated, that in the future it would be very uh, easy for the owner to want to tear that down. Uh, to gain more space, to, to try to demolish it. Uh, obviously, we just had something like that happen at 291 North Grand, where it was uh, kind of accidentally torn down because it was in poor shape. This one actually looks like it's in poorer shape than the one that was on North Cambridge. So um, that would be a concern uh, of mine. Also, uh, as brought up in the last project, is uh, you know once that two-story or two-car garage is there, Obviously, it could be turned into an ADU, and now we have even more density in a neighborhood that uh, historically, as you all know, uh, was uh, responsible for the Grand Street study. In fact, I believe it was that very house that, uh, or property that triggered that. Um, so anyway, that's just a concern. And again, once it's there, uh, unless it's too close to the house, as we just discovered a few minutes ago, um, maybe we could nudge it a little further so it could never be turned into an ADU. That uh, anyway, that that's a concern of mine as well. But uh, the fact you can't see it from the street, I'm a, a, a fan of that. Alley access, as long as there's enough radius to turn. Um, I like the fact that it's divided into two garage doors. I would like to see wood instead of steel, uh, even though it is an alley, since very few people uh, do that. But that's really what should be done. Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Go right ahead. Hi. Annalisa Good, 438 South Grand Street. Uh, the front portion of 424 South Grand Street was constructed in 1906, as we heard, and was originally a one-story single-family home and is considered a historic resource. In 1985, this home was developed into 1,836-square-foot, two-story, single-family residence before good standards and appropriate preservation guidelines were adopted in Old Town. The capacity for new construction of any kind of, on this property has been reached. This is a single-family, residential, classified neighborhood. I know we can all agree one of the reasons folks choose to live in this unique historic community is the overwhelming charm many historic homes exude, which is to say they are small. And eliminating what open space currently exists is poor stewardship of an historic property. Yes, the architect and the applicant has checked all the boxes again. 
Just because the applicant has the right to build it does not mean it's, it's appropriate on this historic property. This proposal should be denied. Thank you. Good evening, my name is John Good, 438 South Grand. In 1997, Old Town Orange became a National Historic District. The City of Orange finally adopted preservation design guidelines and standards for Old Town and had them in place when in 2005, this body heard that from this same client and architect firm proposing to demolish the historic garage and build a new detached garage with living space above it. In addition, a second detached garage was to be built with a two-bedroom living space above it, and which included a deck off the second floor. One of the DRC's concerns from the detailed minutes from that March evening meeting was that the new construction would be just two feet two, two, feet two inches from the eaves of the neighbor's home to the south. After additional meetings with different city bodies, the applicant was denied. Unsatisfied with these results, the applicant appealed to city council. And then two different courts, again, the applicant was denied. My point is that this applicant is determined to build out the last bit of open space on this lot. Today, the applicant also owns the property to the south, which has a 1980s rental unit over the garage. To the north, there is a boarding house rental that can house nine students. There will be no complaints from this property as the students change school every term. What is also troubling on this proposal before you tonight are the nine conditions the project is subject to upon the staff's approval. Who will monitor these conditions when the construction will be done behind the existing home and unseen from the street? Another additional item that is troubling me is about this proposal is that it could, the applicant could in the future modify this new garage and add a second floor ADU living space. Again, the single family property has reached its capacity for any new structures. If constructed as proposed, will it still be a viable contributing asset for the Old Town Historic District? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, Question for our preservation planner. Long before you took this job, long before you graduated high school, maybe even before you started school, um, this property was discussed in these chambers at great length. Um, was there any assessment done for the ex existing garage? Um, Back in those days, there was some debate as to whether it was a contributing component of the property or not. Did we ask for any kind of assessment of the garage? Not that we should have, I'm just wanting to know what information we might have. Um, to the extent of my knowledge, uh, an assessment of the current um, garage was not um, asked or required of the applicant. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, Questions for the applicant, questions for staff. What do we have? Is that garage shown on the Sanborn maps? 
the historic, well, obviously. The carriage. The, yeah, the new one has not shown up on the old. Oh, but I thought your question was of an assessment done because it wasn't, it wasn't. Integrity. Oh, okay. I thought you were questioning whether it really was from the historic period or not. No, no, I don't think that was the question. It was the integrity. Oh, okay. Um, in that case, my question has to do with, uh, this is a question for the um, applicant, actually. Okay. Um, and that is whether the two uh, single car garage doors makes the overall square footage of the garage larger than it would be if you had a single, you had one two car garage door would make any difference. Okay. The Okay. Thank you. Okay. Other questions for the applicant at this time? No? A, a fairly detailed one, but since you gave us the garage door specs, um, the images show the garage doors with just flat panels and kind of like a shaker style. So it wouldn't have the raised mitered corner thing. Okay. Precisely. Okay. Thank you. I didn't see the highlight. That was going to be one of my questions. Right. So this is shaker, square frames, flat panels, but steel construction, correct? Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that. I don't know that we've done that before, so we'll have to talk about that as a alternate material. Is it textured like wood? You have to come to the mic. Sorry. We should have discussed this when you were up there. Um, it, it is. That, that um, model, that series from that uh, manufacturer, they do simulate the, right. the wood grain in it. Okay. You can get it even in, I, I, I don't, I, I would not suggest um, getting it in a wood color, but it is possible. Oh, yeah, we probably wouldn't suggest that yeah. either. <laughs> we probably agree on that. Okay, thank you. Start Can't with. go home till the people talk. <laughs> I could start. Go ahead. Um, the um, design standards um, dictate that the current average, and I will take this one the way it's been calculated, um, should not be exceeded by new development. And in fact, the current average is 0.388 and um, this property is now just below that at 0.34 and this proposed project would push it over that average to 0.42 and so I have trouble finding that it's um, consistent with the Old Town design standards and therefore the Secretary of Interior standards as well. The other issue I have with this is that um, there's just a lot of mass on this, and this view is a really good one to illustrate that. Um, there is some open yard, but this garage comes pretty darn close to the back of that house. It's certainly not the historic pattern of development. Um, if you were to imagine 
the proposed uh, garage off the alley not existing in this diagram and the two-story addition at the rear of the house not existing, that's more the um, historic pattern. Now, granted, these are small houses, and we do allow for some development, but this, this is um, overbuilding um, on this property even further than um, the crowding that's already happening on, on the site. And so for that reason, I, I have trouble supporting this proposal as presented. Thank you, Chair. Um, although I think there's some merits to the fact that it's the proposal is tucked behind the house and it isn't visible from the street. Um, and I think in general, that's a good thing. The, the, the trouble that I'm having is having two garages on the site. I know you're calling it a carriage house and a garage, but I just feel like um, it's just a lot of separate structures on the site. And I would, I would almost, I, I think I would be more in favor of an addition to the existing carriage house that would create garage access from the alley that's sort of behind the existing carriage house, quite frankly, and have it um, still feel like there's two structures um, instead of three. And so, so that's part of my conceptual, like trying to get a grasp on it. I don't know the condition of the carriage house. I didn't, I didn't walk onto the property and, and check that. It sounds like there's been some history with the fact that it's not in good shape. It seems like there's some discussion about that by not being in good shape. So it does concern me. Um, but having that character of that that structure, um, if it is in fact, and we don't really have a front, oh yeah, we do. That is, so we're, I'm sorry, are we calling it a historic carriage house? Or are we just not, are we just being silent on that, whether it's historic or not? Um, it is, um, uh, it was potentially built outside of the period of significance for the Old Town Orange Historic District, but because of the positioning, um, it does contribute to the streetscape of Old Town Orange and the way that, um, accessory structures have a relationship to the house. So in terms okay. of that, it has okay. some, okay, um, that's integrity. Okay. So that's interesting. So actually doing an addition or remodeling it would be a, um, not so much of an impact to a historic structure, it would be making a change to a structure that's been deemed appropriate as an, you know, like because of its position on the site and it's kind of making a reference to where a garage, you know, a historic garage would be. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to, I'm, I mean, I know that was something you discussed that you said that you, you explored that idea and you thought that was a terrible idea, you know, to actually remodel the existing garage. And I think it's true to try to make a 16 foot wide garage that has a gable roof, you know, wider is definitely, you're just destroying it in order to make that happen. But if this addition were actually put on the back of that carriage house and, and, and was 
practical and usable, you know, from the alley, I would be more favorable because I would just feel like um, having two structures on the site would be better. It already feels like there's three structures on the existing site because of the nature of that non the, the the addition, the two-story addition. So I'm already feeling it feels like a three-structure site, and now we're adding another one, and it feels like a four-structure site. But even without that sort of um, subjective feeling, it is a three-structure site, you know, is, what, is what's being proposed. Sorry, that might sound confusing, but I, that's where my head is. I'm having a hard time with that as a location. I'm not against the idea of making a usable garage. This is just a chronic problem in Old Town, and it keeps cars parked on the street when we don't have usable garages. And I, so I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that the applicant wants to make that work better. The lucky part about Grand Street is having an alley. Um, we, we can do this. We can hide things back there that make the site more usable for cars. Yeah. Let us go ahead and finish See our comments anybody, I might be the only one thinking that. So I'm just, so, um, so that's, that's my problem with it. FAR on its own is not supposed to be the only thing that you use to make a decision. Um, it's bulk and mass. And I think um, if this were attached to the existing carriage house and the car existing carriage house was restored somehow or, or reinforced, you know, put some time into it to make it so it's not gonna fall down, um, I think the bulk and mass wouldn't feel as large as it does when you have these, all these buildings separated. So, so I think that's a mitigating factor um, that's not being utilized in this proposal for um, just, it's not just about the raw square footage. Also, um, the proposed garage is 22 foot interior clear dimension. 20 is the minimum. And um, if it were in fact attached to the back of the carriage house instead of separate structure, that it could be more open to that carriage house and then you wouldn't necessarily feel the need to making it deeper than the 20, that the addition could stay to just 20 by 20, which is the minimum required clear interior dimension by the, by the code for a garage. So it would make it a tiny bit smaller. So I think those would be two um, things that would mitigate that for me. So okay, thank I'm you. curious to hear how my colleagues feel. Yeah. Thank you. I was looking on my phone, looking on Google Earth, seeing how the alley looks like. The adjacent structure to the south is two stories, and or the 3D model that you have on the screen, it doesn't really look like that when you're visiting the site. That second story structure appears to be right on the lot line, and it's pretty, uh, pretty large. So I agree with Fox in terms of can the carriage house grow and lead to the alley and that way you kind of mitigate that that view to the to that two-story structure leaving the backyard because i agree with you that it seems like there's already two three there's gonna be four different residents or building masses in this small lot um i'm not against uh adding a garage like yourself but it says now they're able to park three cars you still have this long driveway 
this driveway, you can fit a lot of cars there. Um, I know a garage is preferred, but um, that, that's just some of the thoughts I have. On the letter of explanation that I, uh, you explain an administrative adjustment, can you explain that a little bit more? Maybe I missed that. Um, it says, um, we're requesting an administrative adjustment. Hopefully I got the right project. Um, yeah, just the right project. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Yes, so the administrative adjustment is to allow for space to back into and out of the um, accessory structure. Or else it would be right on the lot. Um, yes, um, I, I, Chad, if you'd like to elaborate a little bit more on that as I'm just sure. getting familiar with the code in orange. Sure, um, so you need a, a, a back in uh, distance of 25 feet and this uh -huh. is, uh, you know, you, it's hard to see, but if you look at uh, oh, the 10 foot Welcome. six inches plus 12, that, that doesn't make it. Administrative adjustments, uh, just for your, your uh, uses, you can modify up to 20% of a setback with an administrative adjustment and then up to 10% of any other code standard with an administrative adjustment. Perfect, that explains that, thank you. Um, and my last comment is the FAR. Um, if that second story addition wasn't there or if maybe you considered a one car garage, I think I would be more in favor in terms of uh, looking just at the FAR. Um, I know we're all used to seeing two-car garages. Um, it's what people want, but this is a very um, high-density neighborhood, and to just keep adding two-car garages everywhere just because that is expected, I'm hoping for a future of we, we don't need garages. And what are you going to do with all this garage space? Um, but I know that's kind of a fairy tale, but I think maybe a one car garage would be appropriate behind the carriage house as was suggested would be a good solution thank you thank you um yeah old town garages i'm i'm in the middle of one myself and um understandably um the condition can be tough but whether it, and this is part of the reason that i asked about an assessment of the garage and um, should we be considering it as a resource. Um, one of the things I'm most struck by is actually the image that's on the screen right now. And it's a little bit of, um, you know, monopoly, would you like a hotel or a house? There's, it's, it's a, I agree with the assessment that it, it appears as four buildings, uh, which I think is problematic. And I think that, uh, first, I, th I think we really ought to have an understanding of that garage and what that means to this property. One, in terms of preserving it, or I shouldn't even say preserving it, the treatment that we bring to it, but also how it might be modified or not modified. And what is the relationship of the historic house, the addition to the house, the historic or not historic garage, and the new garage? I, too, would be much more supportive of a garage that attaches or <coughs> is built in conjunction with the existing garage, maintains the 
spatial relationship of the property more, keeps a backyard behind the house rather than behind and beside two garages. Um, again, the administrative adjustment, I question the legitimacy of it if the garage is built larger than standard size um, when there is already a garage on the property. Um, that that is again a, a a contingency with the property that is the result of the design. And there are other options with the design that would not require that contingency. So um, I agree that more time could be spent on this to one, get a better understanding of what is historic, not historic, what does that mean? But then also, what does the new build, how does the new building work with it? I, I agreed with a lot of the things that committee member Fox said. Well, can I ask a question of the chair? Um, is it possible to have the applicant um, weigh in on the, because since they did talk about um, studying, remodeling the garage and having conclusions about that since Many of us seem to be saying, well, why, let's just say remodel the garage. So maybe we could have yeah, them weigh and in on And he also why. wanted to talk about the placement. Yeah, so and, we'll and let, why we'll that might, may or may that. not work. And then, two, I appreciate your explanation of the FAR study. Clearly from tonight and other nights, we probably can serve our applicants better if we develop a more systematic um, method so that the results that are coming to us are a little more consistent um, and we kind of know what we're looking at when we look at those. So why don't we have the applicant come back up? I do want to weigh on on that because yeah, yeah. The, the design guidelines clearly show one side of the street. And then, and I've been referred this in, in, yeah. in my experiences, they say, do like what it says in the design guidelines. Yeah, except and, let me say they're design standards, not guidelines. I'm sorry, the, yeah, the design standards. Um, but yeah, it doesn't limit it to the block. But I know what you're saying. The graphic shows one yeah. side of the block. Mm -hmm. But the text right. says the entire block. Yeah. So. so this is what I'm saying is mm -hmm. that I don't think there's direction that's thorough, perhaps, mm -hmm. which might explain why we're getting different results each time, right? And yeah. then it's hard for us to kind of yeah. what to do with that information. And again, you brought up an important point that FAR is not the end all that meets all. Right. But, but it does help us get a sense of where it is in the ballpark, I mm -hmm. guess. So if you wanna step back up, you, you had a comment that you wanted to make and then you had a question, oh, about condition of the garage and what that might mean in terms of what we're talking about. I just wanted to know. And that. if that guy wants to talk yeah. to it, we'll probably <laughs> let him. Um, as far as the placement, um, suggested uh, putting it behind the existing carriage house. To get to you guys, we have to get through them. And to get through them, we have to minimize the amount of administrative adjustments we're requesting because they typically don't like to approve more than one. And we try to not even ask for any, especially now that you have to pay for that. Yeah request but let me ask you a question if you eliminated the additional length of the garage wouldn't that get a do away with the administrative not by placing it behind if we're 
if we were to make it two feet shorter and put it behind the existing carriage house, the backup space would be less than the 22 foot six inches, which is the 10% administrative adjustment to 25 feet. Right, but I was going on the assumption that it wasn't a historic garage, so you could you could um, remodel part of the end of that back part of the garage. Well, let me, before you answer that, that, clearly there's been an addition to the back of this garage. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the site plan, the existing garage could literally slide right over, perhaps not literally, but theoretically could slide over mm -hmm. without that addition. And on top of that, if you remove the additional square, uh, length of the garage that's not required, I think, I think all of those issues could be. Yeah, I think you'll still end up six inch shy on the well, back of space. <laughs> but a much smaller administrative yes, adjustment. Yes, Instead of a 10%, it would be a. One, five, right. 4% or something. Right. So anyway, go ahead, go so ahead. We were not wanting to touch that garage because of the state of it. And um, also, um, Ani wasn't here, Chad wasn't on this project, um, and I hate to bring up people who are no longer with the city, but um, originally, Many, many months ago, when discussing this project, the other staff had the purview that just because it wasn't on the Sanborn map doesn't mean it's not contributing. And the prerogative was to not affect contributing structures. So the direction that we got initially, many, many months ago, from the staff was contrary to what you're saying was telling us to keep it away from uh, my, my experience with the same staff on other projects we've actually done additions to legitimately historic garages right. you know we've right. we've actually made a one car garage a two car garage by actually adding on and treating it like you do an addition on an existing Stark House, you know, you pinch it in, you do, you know, you, you create a distinction. So, um, I think perhaps it was because of the sensitive nature of this property. I can't, yeah, say. previous history. I, so I think it's uh, my concern is that there's a garage that clearly nobody wants to touch because they're afraid it's going to fall over. And then, so when that's, I, I would like to see a project that actually reinforces the building so that maybe it doesn't fall over yes. you know yes. I mean, we are and, we are open to yeah. reducing the yeah. size yeah. of this garage yeah. Yeah. i just know that the placement that you're um, requesting is not exactly as counter to guidance oh and it's yeah. not favorable to the to the client? Oh, it's interesting because then the house has <laughs> views out to a yard now and it's going to have views of the back of the garage. Well, not to mention that, the irony of the addition that we're looking at. Well, also, yeah. Um, yeah. The, I, I just also want to clarify one thing. Um, committee member Falfon, the um, existing driveway is dirt. Uh, it's basically grass and dirt. Uh, it's not paved. So. Yeah, but I, I want to speak to some of those comments. And you started to raise this issue earlier, and, and I'm working with Ani on a garage right now that um, 
can of worms, it's a barrel of worms. Um, in the end, it will be more of a reconstruction than a rehabilitation, quite honestly. But had we not done it, within another year or two, the garage would be gone. We, we literally shored up the building as soon as we started the project before we ever put pencil to paper. Um, if It sounds as though if this garage isn't addressed, it's going to become potentially a safety hazard, whether it's historic or not, and it might need to be dealt with. If the driveway's dirt, maybe it's time to talk about that. Um, it, it needs to be an internally consistent project here. So um, I don't think that ignoring the tired part of the property is maybe the best way to do it. Uh, and, I, and I agree that in terms of adding to the historic resource, we do it all the time. That's what we talk about here in these meetings. And again, the illustration that's in front of us clearly shows that, um, although maybe we wouldn't do that today, that historic additions, uh, additions can happen to historic buildings. So, um, but I think we, I think we need to do an assessment of this building first to find out is there any historic value here. If there isn't, if there is, what does that mean? And if there isn't, what does that mean? Um, I don't get a sense that this committee's going to make an approval of this tonight. Right. I, I'm kind of trying to head towards to give guidance for our continuance. Yeah. yeah. But, but <clears throat> truly, if the the garage has been stated by staff that it was determined that it helps to enhance the character of down of Old Town because of its position is similar to a historic garage would be. You know, it, it, it may be a more modern rebuild of a garage that did melt into the landscape <laughs> long ago. Mm -hmm. And so if this one melts into the landscape and goes away, then then the development pattern on the site is very different than what historical, right. you know, mm -hmm. uh, property would have. So then the property's left with less, like, of that fabric, so to speak, you know. So to me, whether it's historic or not, I think keeping it has merit if it can be reinforced and then, um, or, you know, I, everything, you can do anything for money. I know that's weird, but, you know, you can. <laughs> and so if that needs to be reinforced and able to make this a viable project, then, then that would be the case. So if it's historic, then it should be reinforced. And I think if it's not historic, um, it actually helps, I think, on the approval of the project if you, even if it ends up, if it's proved to be completely, there's plywood in it and there's aluminum, there's, you know, clearly non-historic building elements um, that would prove that it's not historic, then you can tear it down and rebuild. In my opinion, you could tear it down and reconstruct a better structure and still have almost all the space that you're proposing right now. I, I just and think it's the and preserve the spatial relationship. Still stay with a historic relationship of garage to house. Still have views out of the house that look out at open space instead of a wall. I, I think that there's some. Yeah. So so I wouldn't say wait until an assessment of the structure. I would say that might. An assessment of the structure would certainly tell you whether you're going to um, restore or replace. But I would say that would be in working out the details of it. Um, anyway, that's my comments. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much concerned that we don't know 
whether this is historic fabric or not. Um, and it does, as you mentioned, completely change the ball game um, as to what can be done on the site. Um, I also agree with, with your idea for um, flipping the site plan and putting a new garage, you know, up, up back against that, um, that existing garage. It just makes for a much better flow and um, appears that it could be it could be pulled off um, without um, probably um, having to have more than a 10% administrative adjustment. Okay, thank you. I get the sense there's an itchy architect in the room <laughs> that would like to come up and talk to us. Good evening, members of the committee. Um, I have a card I'll give you, Skylar, at the end. Um, my name is Doug Ely, uh, architect with DSEA. Um, I do have some history uh, on the assessment of that structure, the garage structure. Um, way back when, I don't remember the dates, but uh, the previous historic planner, uh, when we met with her regarding this property, uh, she wanted to come out and look at the property with the uh, building department uh, official. And a meeting was held and it was determined that the quality and the character of the garage was worthy of preserving. Now, I don't know whether that is labeled as it has historic value or not. I don't, I don't really know. but. The, the, the determination was it was, was worth preserving. Um, back in 2004 or six or whenever the, that previous project that had been referred to that had been proposed, um, I don't recall that garage as being determined historic and I don't think it, it was on the sandboard maps. Um, and I, at that time, it was acceptable to demolish the garage. But since that time and now, the new design standards have labeled um, accessory structures as being uh, uh, contributing to the Old Town Historic District. And therefore, it was determined that that garage uh, needed to remain. Uh, or at least the characteristics of it uh, remain. Now, I've been in the garage, and it's in uh, poor shape, but I wouldn't call it in shape that's ready to fall over. I've seen plenty of those, and I, I don't think this is at, at that particular stage. There was an addition to the rear. I don't think it has footings. Um, it's kind of a bootlegged addition, I think, at one time. Um, in meeting with the previous planner, there was specific direction to focus development to the rear of the house so that uh, it would not be seen from the street. Also, right next to this property on the south, there's a large two-story addition, two-story um, second unit that was developed probably back in the 70s and 80s where there wasn't a lot of concern or appreciation for what we now have a lot of concern about. So um, 
There is also a existing garage across the alley and we would have to take another look at that um, if we're talking about shifting this proposed garage, kind of narrowing its depth, uh, perhaps uh, removing a portion of the rear of that existing garage, maybe the pop-out area, and then putting this uh, two-car garage behind that. I think you would still see that from the street, but um, you would still see the original single car or the carriage house uh, from the street. So uh, we, we would have to re uh, reanalyze that and see how the, set, how the, the, the driveway um, depth is. And if we still require an administrative adjustment for that depth, I seem to recall that garage across the alley was a little bit of an issue because it's right on the property line. So I just wanted to uh, present those issues to you. Um, a lot of times we can work out concepts and ideas and then go back to the drawing board and come back. So this might help you with uh, additional input. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the input. Um, I just want to make a comment that so often we talk about, both we and the public and applicants talk about, um, but it's not visible from the street. Um, <clears throat> and although there's a lot of guidance in our standards that talks about changes and how it's generally better to make those out of view of the public right away. Um, I want everyone to be reminded, all of us in the room, that it's not just about is it visible from the street. And if you can't see it from the street, anything goes. Um, typically, modifying the rear of historic buildings, if they truly have a front and a rear, is considered less impactful. Um, tends to have fewer character-defining features on it and so on and so forth. So I just want us to not get too... There's been a lot of conversation tonight about, well, it won't be seen from the street. Um, that that's not the end all either. It, it's really striking the balance of all these things. So it sounds like the applicant is willing to go back and take a look at this, take a little deeper look at the garage and what the implications of what we're talking about, how that takes into account. But I think a lot of the things that committee member Fox said about this project, um, I'm right there on the same page. Um, I just think it makes a lot of the problems go away, quite frankly. So I'm prepared to make a continuance to give the applicant more time to study this and come back to us if the applicant would like that option. It looks like I'm getting a nod that they would. So uh, looks like I'm getting nods from those sitting with me. So why don't I go ahead and make a motion? Any further conversation? Okay, uh, I'd like to make a motion to the committee to continue item 4.2, which is design review item number 5094-22 for the Drenner residence at 424 South Grand, giving the applicant adequate time to um, consider modifications to the project based on the committee's feedback this evening. 
date certain. The earlier one we did tonight was 5th, April 5? Correct. It's a simpler structure, obviously. You can be back in two weeks, you said? You're working over the Christmas break. That's just what I was thinking. He is now. So what does that start to look like on the back end? March 1st. March 1st or March 15th or the two for March, correct? You said earlier? That's correct. March for one? Okay. So that will be continued. The, the motion would be to continue it to a date certain of March 1st. I'll second. Have a motion to continue and a second. Any other further discussion? No? Oh, I was going to tell you to please vote, but there you go. Please vote. That is unanimous. Thank you to the applicant for willing to work with us on this. With that... Mr. Chair, may yes. I um, make a request of staff? Um, when we do have any statements that rely on Sanborn maps, well... It would always be nice to have Sanborn maps for us, especially if there's some question about whether something was historic or not. Um, yeah, or the aerial photos or, or something, some kind of evidence. And also, um, if there are administrative adjustments that go along with the project, to have that called out in the staff report. Um, because I thought I saw it, then I went back several times and looked at the staff report, and I thought, huh, it's not here. I must have imagined that. <laughs> sure enough, there were administrative adjustments, so that would be um, a great help to have to have those going forward. Thank you. Okay, great. If there's no further discussion, I'm going to adjourn to January 18th as our January 4th meeting had no business. It has been canceled, so we will be back here on January 18th. So happy holidays and happy new year to everyone, and we will see you next year. Good evening.